Well, our subject this morning um, is controversial. And um, when you do a message series on security measures, you want to help people to live safely. Now, in order to live safely, there's a great deal of wisdom that needs to be applied. And so when we talk about security measures, this is a message series based on wise living. And so my objective today is to help you to live wisely. I, I, won't, I won't fight with you about this. I won't fight with you. Um, I will fight about the authority of Scripture. I, I will fight about the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus. But the subject matter today, we, we could really divide the room into thirds. There, there'd be about a third of you that would say, this is good, this is great, this is fun, this is awesome, this is cool, this is, this is okay. This is, this is okay with my faith and my walk with God. There's about a third of you in the room that would say, this is not good. This is not healthy. This has been a train wreck. This is, no, are you kidding me? And there's about a third of you in the room that would say, I don't know. Not really thought it through. I don't really know how I really feel about this subject matter today. And so I know this, and I know it's controversial, but we're going to just jump in and we're going to start, and you don't have to turn there, but we're going to start with the book of Leviticus. Anybody this week read the entire book of Leviticus? Anybody in the room? Anybody read any verses out of Leviticus this week? Uh, a few of you. Oh, you did? All right. A few of you fundamentalists in the room. That's great. That's great. All right. Just look at this verse out of Leviticus. Leviticus 23, I think it says, says this. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering and two-tenths of an epith of finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hen. A hen is about a quart, about a quart of wine. So part of the Old Testament offerings included wine. Look at the next verse, verse 37. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the sacrifices and what? drink offerings required for each day. Let me take you to Exodus. The book of Exodus says this. This is what you are to offer on the altar each day. Two lambs a year old offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. With the first lamb offer a tenth of an epith of finest flour mixed with a quart of a hen of, olive, of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hen of wine as a what? as a drink offering. And so here we've got two different examples of where they're offering uh, alcohol uh, in a sacrificial uh, service. All right, look at the next verse. Now here we go to Jesus. And this is interesting because this is Jesus' like first miracle. And by the way, the first miracle was not walking on water or fish and chips. Here's the very first miracle. Watch, listen to this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
when the wine was gone, that kind of gets our attention, right? Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood uh, six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonially washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into grape juice. That's not what it says, is it? He turns it into wine. Now, I remember years ago a couple of pastors trying to explain that this was not fermented. And the more they tried to explain it, I thought, you guys are idiots. Just give it up. We know it's fermented because he talks about he turns water into wine. Just an interesting story. All right, look at the next verse of Scripture. This is also, they did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What an incredible story. Jesus, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. This was the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed. We don't have time to talk about why. We've got another couple of verses. Matthew now, Matthew chapter 11. For John, this is a whole different context. I'm just giving you a bunch of Bible. Then we're going to wrap this up. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and... And they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus was accused of even drinking in, in, this, in this story. Now, what I find is really interesting is, is if you and I were like to go hang out somewhere, the dock or fishing or whatever, and we had a conversation, and I would say to you, I'm getting ready to preach on Noah. And I would ask you, can you tell me all the things you remember about Noah? And you would say, yeah, Noah was a righteous man. He was asked by God to build a, an ark. It was a big boat. And all these animals, two by two and seven by seven, came in. And then it rained for 40 days and 40, 40 nights. Okay. And then they all got off the ark. You would remember the big pieces of that story, right? But do you remember the story where Noah got drunk? It's an amazing story. I mean, Noah is called a blameless, righteous man, and the dude got hammered after the whole ark scene. Here it is. Watch this. Noah, it doesn't ever say hammered, but it does say drunk, okay? It does say that. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became what? He became drunk. This is Noah. He became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside the tent. And that's what happens when you drink too much, right? I mean, you do things that you later go, I did what? Are you kidding? He lay uncovered inside the tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked. So now we know this, this isn't going well, is it? This is not a good scene. And he told, can you imagine a movie on the, and it, well, there was a movie. They just didn't show all of it. And he told his two brothers outside. Look at the next verse. 
But Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and they covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. And there's a couple other verses that go with that. And it didn't go well. It didn't go well for the one brother that uh, abused this. Same thing if I ask you about Lot. Probably you're a lot more familiar with Noah than you would be Lot. But if I said to you, tell me everything you can kind of remember about Lot. You go, I don't remember Lot. I'd say, well, Lot was like a nephew to Abraham. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I remember that now. He and Abraham traveled together. Their herdsmen got into a fight. And Abraham said, look, dude, you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Whatever you want to do, I'll do. And so he, they split. Well, then there's the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing. And Lot's wife got turned into a pillar of salt. Oh, God, you guys are good. Okay. So we remember all that. But then do you remember what happens next? Lot's two daughters think it's the end of the world. And they get Papa drunk two nights in a row. And both daughters sleep with him one on one night, one on the other night. And they become impregnated by their dad while he's drunk. And he doesn't even know what happened. These are some amazing stories. When you talk about alcohol, you have to kind of look at the whole counsel of God when you do something like this. It's, it's amazing. Now, all of us in this room have a context. We don't come in the room today like in a bubble without a context. And some of you have great contexts. Some of you have horrible context. Some of you have horror stories in your own life, horror stories in your family's life. Some of you have work horror stories. You tell stories about people at work and what happened at happy hour, and you t there, there are very few great stories with alcohol. I mean, nobody's ever said to me, you know, our marriage was just kind of not doing well, but when we started drinking together, that's when everything fell, fell in place. <laughs> Been a pastor for 33 years. It hadn't happened yet. It could. It hadn't happened yet. Or, or nobody's ever said to me, you know, father, son, tension, not getting along, fighting each other. And, and one of them said, yeah, but when we started going to varsity club and drinking together, that's when our relationship got, got better. No, 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 nobody's ever said that. See, you have a context today for alcohol. You have a context in family, you have a context in work, you have a context in, in, in church. Now, my, my background is my, my parents actually drank before they became Christians. This was interesting. So once they became Christians, my, my parents both stopped. Now, why would that be? Well, my father grew up and his father was an alcoholic, and Grandpa Parker drank a lot and chased a bunch of women, and Grandpa Parker shot himself. And I met the guy twice. I don't know him. I didn't ever know my Grandpa Parker. But, but, it, but it, it didn't end well. And so for my parents, they saw that trajectory. And for my parents, alcohol was like, I mean, I don't know. You could probably do heroin, but that's probably okay compared to alcohol. Alcohol was the issue in, in, in our family like that. For Danita's parents... My wife's parents, um, preacher of 55 years, went to a very conservative fundamental Bible college, and the, you know, at that college, you couldn't drink. You, 
none of the professors could drink. It was just it was something that you, you could not do. See, you have a context for that. Now, our church, Memphis, was, I know we're in the South, but we're really not in the South. I don't know where we are, but we're not in the South. But, but Memphis is the South. Tennessee is the South. And so in Memphis, there were multiple churches there that my buddies all had to sign that they would never drink alcohol. No beer, no wine, nothing. Now, that's ir- ironic because churches in the Northeast, like, have wine and cheese fundraising events. So you, 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 just, you see what I'm saying? There, there's a context for, for all of this. Now, so as, as we approach this today, let, let's, let's just be really clear about this. When we see these wonderful commercials, and they're great commercials. They got all the money. They, got more, they, they, they have more advertising. F- they're fun. Everybody's happy. And then they tell you the very tagline, they'll say, drink responsibly. Now, the problem with that is, Nobody ever shows commercials where somebody's thrown up the next day or that night in the toilet. They, they don't show any commercials where you're in a car and your best friend just got killed and there's open bottles of alcohol. They, they, they don't show trials where people are having litigation because of alcohol, DUI. None of that gets shown, does it? You see, here, here's what happens in our country every year. Look at some of the abuses of alcohol. There's 100,000 deaths in America every year. 100,000 deaths directly related to alcohol. Look, 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 at, look at the money we spend. DUIs, litigation, $233 billion a year from alcohol abuse. There's over 200, look at the next one, 200 diseases. We're all familiar with cirrhosis of the liver, but you could add another 199 diseases that come along with this. There's over 200 diseases related to alcohol. Look at the next one. It's the third leading cause of death in our country. In the United States of America, alcohol abuse is the third leading cause of death. Look at at this next slide. You see, with alcohol, there are liver problems, memory problems, vitamin deficiency problems, poor academic performance, relationships, medication interactions. In other words, your medicine doesn't work right because of alcohol. Pancreas problems, sleep deficiencies. I think this one's interesting. Many people think that alcohol relaxes them. It does. It helps you to fall asleep. It just doesn't keep you asleep. And the studies are now out where alcohol actually causes you not to be as rested because you fall asleep, but it doesn't allow you to stay asleep. And then all kinds of things take place with dehydration. And so when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, look at this, the church of Ephesus, he says, be very careful. Be, Be careful. This is a security measures message. He's like 2,000 years ahead of me. He's saying, be very careful how you live. That would be really smart, wouldn't it? To live wisely. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a great verse. We're going to camp out on this for just a couple of minutes. Because if you look at this verse, and it says, Do not get drunk on wine, 
which leads to debauchery, you would begin to think that from a, a spiritual standpoint that this means like you want God influencing you. You want the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't want the influence of the spirits, alcohol, in your life. And that's a, that's a pretty good interpretation of that. But it's actually a, a better one. It's a historical connotation. And once I understood the history of what was going on historically in this context, I mean, the light bulbs just, just went on. So they are in a Greek mytholo- mythology background. And let me explain what I think is really taking place here when Paul says this. The Greeks had Zeus, and Zeus was the big daddy, and Zeus has a child. And this gets a little weird, but Zeus has a child, and that child is going to be destroyed, and so he snatches the child from its mother, and he sews it into his thigh. Makes about as much sense as evolution. But he sews it into his thigh. It continues to do the gestation period, you know, for however long it takes. And so right when the child's to be born, the Titans come along. And the Titans come along and they kidnap Zeus's son. And the Titans take him and they're just about completely to destroy him. With the last minute, Zeus saves his heart. And the child grows up and the child becomes Dionysus. And Dionysus became known as the god of wine. And in Ephesus... They erect these incredible large temples to the god of Dionysus. And Dionysus is the god of wine. And the way you reach the gods was through lots and lots of alcohol. And so they would have these, we'd call them halls, but they would have these temples, and they would all come to the temples, and the alcohol was free-flowing, 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 and everybody is smashed, hammered, and they are somehow trying to communicate with the gods through uninhabited um, lifestyle. And so sexual orgies, all kinds of things taking place, makes Noah and poor Lot look like candy land, but here it leads to debauchery. And see, these are the people who just got saved out of that. And what Paul is saying is, you can't reach the gods through alcohol. You have God's spirit inside of you. You want to commune with your heavenly father? You want to connect with God? It's not through uninhabited, you know, with no no inhibitions. It's not through the, the, the lack of inhibitions. It's through control. It's through a connection with your heavenly Father. And so when Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, you and I are thinking, well, let's not go, you know, someplace and have too much to drink. No, 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 that's not what they're talking about. He's talking about going to a temple. He's talking about having volumes and volumes of alcoholic beverages to where they're just working themselves into a frenzy. And they're trying to find God through that inebriated stage of life. And Paul's saying, that's not how this works. This works through the Spirit. This works through the Spirit of the living God. You see, this is not a message to talk you into drinking. This is not a message to talk you out of drinking. This is a message to encourage you to be wise. But it's also a message to help you to make some decisions today. Now, here's what I think is kind of funny, and there's really nothing funny about alcohol abuse, but I I think you should make decisions about alcohol at church. 
I don't think you should make them when you're with your friends at a happy hour and everybody's already had two or three. I think you should make decisions about alcohol, I'm, I'm being dead serious, during communion. I think during communion is when you should make decisions about alcohol. Is it right for me? Is it wrong for me? If it's right for me, what's the context? If it's right for me, how many? If it's wrong for me, what's, what am I going to do about this and this and this? I, I think this is the absolute place. I think church is the absolute place to make those kind of decisions. Um, sometimes we're afraid to talk about sex and money. I think we should be talking about sex and money at church all the time. Jesus did. I think we should talk about this. And so I'm going to encourage you to make some decisions about this today. Now, in order to help you do that, I'm going to give you five what I call strong suggestions. So here they are. They're in your bulletin. If you're a note taker and you want to take notes, great. When you approach this subject, I I would take in the full counsel of God. The, The Bible is not against drinking. The Bible's against the abuse of drinking. The Bible's not against alcohol. In fact, there were a lot of celebrations that took place. But, but you've got to take the whole counsel of God on, on every subject. No matter what the topic is, this is pretty good advice. We, we take the whole counsel of God, right? Number two, I would be wise because alcohol does control and alcohol does destroy lives. I would be very wise with this. Number three, I would avoid being a stumbling block. So let's talk about that for a second. If you're 21 years of age, okay, if you're you're under 21, students in the room, this is real easy. It's against the law. It's against the law. If you're over 21 and you buy alcohol for somebody under 21, you go with the popo to the big house. That's not a good idea. That's a really bad idea, and it's, ille- it's illegal. If you're an adult and you say, well, good, we'll have all the kids come to the house and drink inside the house, and they're under 21, that's still illegal. So with full disclosure, Danita and I probably drink about four or five glasses of red wine a year. She probably drinks, even though she's got four or five, she, she didn't even finish it. So she, she's not... Maybe half of that even. But if we were with somebody who has a problem with alcohol, or or if I knew that they struggled with alcohol, I would never drink around them. I would never drink in front of them. It's just, I'd rather have a glass of water. It's just not worth it. And and so we got to be really careful about being a stumbling block. Number four. There are many sins associated with alcohol. So again, you, you got to think about you. Do you get angry when you've had too much alcohol? Do you say things that you wish you wouldn't have said or shouldn't have said? Do the filters come off? Do you engage in sexual activity that's outside the will of God? Does this cause you to spend money in an inappropriate way? Does this make you somebody that you don't like at the end of the day? There's just a lot associated with this. And then number five, the goal is to be filled with the Spirit. That's always the goal. The goal is for you and for me to be filled with God's wonderful, amazing Holy Spirit. So 
I want to ask you to make some decisions this morning. In Acts, there's this amazing story. And the story is where Peter's preaching to the people who've just put Jesus to death. They've crucified the Messiah. And Peter's preaching to them, and they realized we have royally messed up. This is incredible. We can't believe we've done this. And so Peter says, to, they, they said, what, what can we do to make this right? They were cut to the heart. What can we do? And Peter says this in Acts 2.38. He says, repent. I love the word repent. I think it's a great word. Because repent means I get to do a, a do-over. Repent means I get to change directions. Repent means I get to go a different course than I was going. Repent should be one of your favorite words in your vocabulary. Somehow it's become a bad word in church. It's a great word. And so these people have crucified the Christ, and he says, change your mind about Jesus. He is the Messiah. And he says, then be baptized, which means identify with the greatest event in all of history. That's what Christian baptism is. You identify with Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And guess what happens? The last verse. And you then get to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as the Ephesians tried to work their way up to the gods... You already have God inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside every person who's given their life to Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Does that mean the Spirit has an agenda for my life? Absolutely. Does that mean the Spirit has an agenda, whether I should buy, whether I should sell, whether I should move, whether I should? Absolutely. Look at the next verse, verse 6. But the mind governed by the flesh is death. In other words, all that debauchery stuff, it's a train wreck. But the mind governed by the Spirit, that's life and peace. We all want life and peace. Look at the next verse. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, they can't please God. Look at the next verse, verse 9. You, however, these are Christians, the Christians at Rome. You're not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit. And then drop down a few verses of verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. We've all been there. Sometimes life gets so messy, we're not even sure what to pray for. But God's Spirit, why why would you want to be filled with alcohol in an inappropriate way when you can have the Spirit of God guiding your life? It's like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And verse 27 says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I won't fight with you over this. Some of you are for it. Some of you are against it. Don't send me any emails. There's this little button called delete. I won't fight with you about this. I'll fight about the resurrection of Jesus. 
I'll fight about the authority of Scripture. I'll fight about the virgin birth. But I'm not going to fight with you about this, okay? I love you. But I'm asking you to make some decisions. What's the wisest way you can live? Some of you in the room need some help with this. Some of you do. Some of you are alcoholics. You drink every day. You need to get some help. There's Alcoholics Anonymous. There's Celebrate Recovery. There's Teen Challenge. There's all kinds of different things. You need to get some help. You know how you know whether or not you've got a problem? Just try to go 30 days without alcohol. If you drink, try to go 30 days without it. When we did our fast this past year, the 21-day fast in January, several of you fasted from alcohol. One lady fasted from vodka. I told her that was a really good idea. But I got three emails from three different people who said, I didn't know I had a problem. I, w- I want to ask you to do this. If you drink, I want to ask you to ask the people who are around you, spouse, best friend, ask them, when I drink, do I sin? Do I say things? Do I do things? A- a- am, I, am I myself when I drink? I I dare you to ask the people who are closest to you around you if they think you have any concerns or issues or problems with, with this area. You know why? See, people don't plan to mess up their lives. They just don't plan not to. Nobody plans on a DUI. No, nobody plans on having a car accident and killing their spouse or their kid or their best friend. No, nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I think today's the day I'm going to become a full-fledged alcoholic. Today's my day. No, nobody does that. No, nobody does that. So this is, a, this is an area where I think we need to have a lot of wisdom, a great amount of wisdom. Now, where's the place to start? It's always with Christ. It's always with Christ. So I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do so today. If you've never been baptized, you've never identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I, I want to encourage you to, to do so uh, today. If you've got a struggle in this area today, come down front. We had several people came down front in first service, prayers for themselves, prayers for their family members. Maybe this is really upfront and personal. Come down front today and let our prayer partners pray with you, pray for you, and pray over you. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we want to honor you today. And we give our lives and we pledge our allegiance to you. And we pray for great wisdom with this topic today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.